0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for his glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The human heart is so messed up that the most wonderful things if experienced too casually or too often or too easily even wonderful things can become dull meaningless boring to us. I had a little... Scare this week. We thought there was a possibility I'd been exposed to the coronavirus. Turns out I didn't, but but in that moment, I immediately went into self-quarantine. And in a matter of seconds, all my plans changed. I had. Plan to go home that evening and have supper with my family and maybe pull a weed or two out of the garden and then have a regular time with Eve on Thursday nights and eat a few squares of dark chocolate and then get up the next day and work in my garden a little bit and then hopefully mow the yard. I have this thing on my front porch. I want to refinish. I had these things that I want to do, but they were they were immediately taken away from me. This normal stuff. I couldn't do it. And so what happened is these normal things all of a sudden became precious things. It's just a good reminder for me that these precious things ought to be precious all the time. When is the last time, before March 2020, when did you ever get on your knees and praise the Lord that you could go to a restaurant and sit down with friends and enjoy a meal together? Or that you could have a fellowship meal at the church, or visit a shut-in, or worship with a room full of people that you love, or (laughs) buy toilet paper. When's the last time, when you were healthy, did you praise the Lord with a thankful heart for your health? It is easy for precious things to become dull and meaningless to us, boring to us. And I want to remind you this morning that that exact same thing can happen even with sacred things. Sacred things if, if, if handled too casually. If in your heart you, you somehow think you deserve them. Sacred things Wonderful things can become dull and trivial. So I want to ask some questions. And I want you to be honest with yourself and with the Lord. And, and, and my first question is, how's your heart? How's your heart with the Lord? Are the truths of the gospel precious to you? When you hear the love of Christ for sinners, is your heart warmed by them? Are these things even coming into your mind? Are you thinking about these things? And it just just reminds me of, of the words of Jesus, a very gracious warning. I have this against you, Jesus says, that you've left your first love. Remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Believer, do you remember? Do you remember what it was like when you first, when the gospel was first revealed to you? When you first saw yourself as a sinner and that Jesus was the Savior and that Jesus had forgiven your sin and given you the gift of his righteousness? Do you remember how you worshiped in those days? Let's remember those days. Jesus says, let's go back to those first days. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we get ready to read this text, one of, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, one of the most often repeated passages in the New Testament. It is it, These are truths that, that we seek to to explain and teach and preach and and sing about week after week after week. And it's easy for these things to become dull to us and already know this and already got this and think that we need to move on from here. Lord, I pray that You would give us tender hearts this morning. That we would be amazed this morning by grace. We would be amazed this morning by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We would be amazed knowing what we know about ourselves that if if we are in Christ for every believer to be amazed that we are accepted, welcomed by God and loved as dear children. And Father, I pray that these truths would not stay intellectual or theological. I pray that they would spill over into how we treat each other, how we we respond. Not, Not how we respond after we've had five minutes to think about it, but in the moments, I pray, Lord, that this gospel would spill over into our response to our spouses and our parents and our children and our co-workers, and the people who disagree with us on social media, and the person in front of us who's ornery in the line, Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are tender to the gospel and celebrate the gospel and live out of the gospel. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. you will open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, but we are going to focus this morning on verse 6. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, you remember this is after Abram has gone and rescued his nephew Lot in an incredible battle, brought him back along with all the goods was welcomed by Melchizedek. He humbly paid tithe to Melchizedek. The king of Sodom says, I want you just to to keep all this stuff. And Abram says, I'm not keeping anything because I don't want you to think that you made me rich. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said O Lord God what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus And Abram said since you have given no offspring to me one born in my one born in my house is my heir Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now here's our text. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. I want you to see four things in this text. First, I want you to see a preposterous promise. Secondly, I want you to see overwhelming odds. Then I want you to see Abram's astounding trust And the result of absolute acceptance. Notice with me first a preposterous promise. The promise this promise to Abraham in actuality was actually made to Abram really at his birth his name the name Abram means exalted father and this is the promise that God has been reiterating to him over and over and over again Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 and I will make you a great nation Genesis 12 verse 7 the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants I will give this land Genesis chapter 13 verse 14 the Lord said to Abram after lauded seven Separated from him. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And he took him outside and said, Now look to the heavens. And count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Over and over and over again, God is saying to Abram, you are going to be the exalted father with descendants that simply cannot be counted. When we get to Genesis chapter 17, God is going to change Abram's name in order to make this promise even more clear. He's going to change his name to Abraham, which means the father of many, the father of a multitude of nations. It would be an incredibly encouraging promise for anybody to hear. Like I'm thinking about this. I'm going to be satisfied with grandkids. Imagine if God Himself were saying to you, I'm not just going to give you descendants, I am going to make nations come from you. You are going to be the father of many nations. We need to see, though, that this promise is absolutely preposterous when you think about the overwhelming odds that he's up against. Remember that Abram is at least 80 years old. He was was 75 back in Genesis chapter 12 before he came to the promised land. So he's, he's pushing 80 at least. And besides that, his wife is barren. All these years they've been married, she's had no children. Menopause has come and gone along with all hope of ever having biological children. So imagine God coming to you, not as a 25-year-old, not as a 35-year-old, not as a 45-year-old, not as a 55 or a 65 or a 75-year-old, but as an 80-year-old with an elderly wife who's been barren her whole life and saying, now look up into the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. That's how your descendants are going to be. Here's my question. What would you say? What would you think? How would you respond to the Lord? You have no visible evidence that it would actually happen. Zero encouraging signs. No lab work from the doctor that, that your circumstances have changed. Just a promise from the Lord, what would you think? Let me tell you what Abram thought. He said, Sarah, start painting the nursery because we're having a baby. That's what verse 6 says. Then he believed the Lord. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's what I call astounding trust it is it is easy to read this oh he made this promise oh abraham believed good job abram that's good but 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 try to imagine just imagine if this happened imagine an elderly couple in our church married let's just say 55 years Here's this elderly couple, married 55 years, been barren, infertile the whole time. What if that couple stood up in worship next Sunday? Maybe we'll be together next Sunday. I don't know. We'll see about that. But they stood up in church and said, and said both of us had a vision last night. The Lord met with us last night, and the Lord said to us, I know that you've been infertile your whole life, but you are going to be welcoming a baby. And we just wanted to tell you so you can celebrate with us now and so that you can start praying for us. What would you do? Would this room erupt in applause? Would people say, forget about six feet. I'm hugging this couple. Would Caitlin get on the piano with that, with that tremolo and everybody start clapping? Would Amy Griffin say, okay, let me start, I need to start planning this baby shower of what I need to do. Here, what would you do? It's a, it's a preposterous promise. Which is what makes Abram's faith so precious. I want you to look at at, at how Paul tells this story in Romans chapter 4. Turn over to Romans chapter 4, and I so wish I could just read chapters 3 and 4 to us, but I'm going to start in Romans 4, verse 18. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed. So that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. I love that. He didn't ignore the problems that he faced, Abram took it in. He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. God said it, and Abram believed it. That's what I would love for that to be the honest summary of Tommy Hullett's life on his tombstone. God said it, and Tommy believed it. When you want that to be what people remembered you by, God said it, and I believed it. Wouldn't that be an incredible legacy for us to leave to the next generation at First Baptist Church? God said it, and the people of First Baptist Church believed it. That's unexplainable, astounding trust. And it must have pleased the Lord. Because I want you to notice what happened next. His absolute acceptance. Acceptance. I love how Romans 4 puts it. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. when you believe the Word of the Lord, against whatever odds you're facing, you give glory to God. Without any material evidence, Sarah's not all of a sudden craving ice cream and pickles. She's not waking up nauseated. No evidence that his eyes can see, and yet he believed what God said and God was honored. And so notice what God did. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He believed the Lord, and He, the Lord, reckoned it to Him as righteousness. If if you're getting the feeling that verse 6 is a really important verse, then you're getting the right feeling. Have you ever been to the Biltmore house? You know, If you've ever gone to the Biltmore House, the Biltmore House was strategically placed so that in the trip up to the Biltmore House, you go through this winding, beautiful wood, trees on both sides, and then you come around this corner, and it was placed in such a way so that you come around this corner, and all of a sudden, the glory of that house just burst on, your, on the scene. I think that's what verse 6 is like. You turn the corner of verse 6 and the door is open to the glorious splendor of the gospel. And I'll just tell you, we don't have time to take a tour of the house this morning. We can't can't go look all around. But what I I hope to do is at least give you a snapshot of the gospel, a little postcard of the gospel that you can take home and enjoy and hopefully live. Here, Here we have Abram. Let's think about this. What do we know about him? First, we know he's a generous man. We know that when when his brother died and left a son without a daddy, Abram took that boy under his own wing as his own child. We, we know that he's a generous man because when, it, when they begin to be too rich for each other and, and, and lots of animals begin to compete with, with Abram's animals, and their, their workers begin to fight with each other. Abram said, "Listen, lot, I want you to pick the best part of the land. You pick the best part of the land. I'll take whatever you don't choose." We know he was a generous man. It seems he was a loyal man. Remember how he responded when, when his lot his nephew was kidnapped? He goes after Lot at the cost of his, at the risk of his own life. He seems like a humble man. He comes back from an incredible military victory, and then we see him, then we see him bowing in worship and paying tithe to the Lord through this priest, Melchizedek. He he seems like a man who's, who's resolute in his worship. God makes him a promise, and Abram builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. He messes up big time and God forgives him and he builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. I, I, love, I love this reply to the king of Sodom when the king of Sodom says in chapter 14, you take the goods for yourself. And Abram says, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear that you would say, I have made Abram rich generous loyal humble resolute in his worship but here's what we know about Abram he was a man I'm reminded of the words of Alistair Begg I'll probably never forget him he says men at their best are men at best do you remember how Abram Abram responded when he was going to go down to Egypt there's a famine Abram gets scared he flees to Egypt on the way he's scared That they're going to take his wife and kill him in order to get him and to get her. Remember, Sarah pays dearly for Abram's cowardice. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. The best of men are men at best. Abram's prone to the same things you're prone to. Prone to put himself first. But I want you to notice what happens in this text. God makes Abram a preposterous promise in the face of overwhelming odds. Abraham believes it. And in God's mind, Abram is considered righteous. Is Abram an innocent man? Not an innocent man. But when God speaks, Abram believes what God says and Abram becomes pleasing to the Lord. Is is Abram a perfect man? No. But God speaks and Abram believes it and Abram becomes pleasing to the Lord. I don't want to oversimplify this but I do want you to appreciate what, what is happening think about this talk to people on the street talk to your coworkers. and here's the sad part go and, go and talk to people who, who grew up in the church A- and talk to them and say tell me how's your relationship with the Lord do, do you know that you're forgiven what about judgment day Are you prepared for Judgment Day? And listen listen to what people say. Over and over and over. We could just just share the answers that we get. The answers that we get all the time is, God knows my heart. I'm good. I, I try to treat people good. I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Or... Or maybe the maybe more, more humble or maybe more worried about it, they, they say, "Well, I, I hope so. I hope that I've done enough good to overcome all of my bad." The, the, the problem is, is that we, we tend to compare ourselves to other people instead of comparing ourselves to the one who really is good. Can you imagine what it would be like to stand in front of the perfection of God Himself? You you would not be bragging about your good in those those days. If people are honest, we all know that we're not as good as we ought to be. We're not as good as God rightly expects us to be. And the natural tendency in us is to hope that we could do something good that would be so pleasing to the Lord that that he that he He would see that in spite of all of our flaws and our sin and still accept us. And in Genesis 15 verse 6, Here's what he's saying, here's the thing that pleases the Lord. If you want to know what it is that pleases Him, Genesis 15 verse 6 says, here's what's pleasing Him, trust what He says. Stake your life on what He says. When God says it, believe it. Think about this, here's the problem. Here's the problem with with, with there being acceptance through good deeds. Think think about what happens. You know your heart. Let's say you do something that that really is selfless. You, You do something that really is humble. You do something that really is good. What's the first tendency of your heart? To be proud of it. You see how messed up we are? You do something good. Your natural tendency is to be proud of it. And God hates pride, especially this obviously unfounded pride. Can you imagine how ridiculous it must look to God for little worms like us to be proud? But faith... Has exactly the opposite effect. Faith in God is honoring to God because it only celebrates God. it, It makes its boast in Him. Faith absolutely destroys pride because faith, by its very nature, is dependent. You see it in this text. Faith says, I am powerless, I am helpless, I am needy, and God is all that I need. And so here's here's the postcard worth of the gospel. Here's Abram. He's a sinner just like you. If he were to stand before God's judgment, he would be judged. But in hope against hope, against all odds, Abram pleased the Lord by trusting the Lord. You with me? And so so God declares Abram. Look at the text, verse 6. Righteous, acceptable, pleasing in His sight. But but here's what you got to know. God is just. He simply can't ignore Abram's sin. I I think about the people who have been horribly sinned against. You you in your life, many of you have been horribly sinned against. You are very thankful that one day the scales of justice will be balanced. You are very thankful that that the people who have done what they have done to you are not going to go unpunished. Here's the reality. Here's the good news of the Bible. That justice is. Was served. God Himself, the Lord that we see in Genesis 15, verse 6, the Lord became to earth, lived the life that we were meant to live, earned a perfect record of goodness and honesty and courage and generosity and selflessness and humility and then died in the place of sinners. Here's the reality. Abram's sin wasn't forgotten. Abram's sin was transferred to Christ and Jesus Christ was punished for Abram's sin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ was transferred to Abram. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians five twenty one. I, I want to read to you how the Holy Spirit explains this in Romans chapter three, and, and I'm going to read this in a translation that I hope is so clear that it's not going to need lots of explanation. Romans chapter three. H- help me out here, Mark. My clicker's not working. Romans chapter three, verse twenty three. I'll wait so you can see it. Don't worry. Listen carefully. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For, He was looking ahead and including them in what He was going to do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate His Righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not. By obeying the law. Now step back and and notice what we see. We see a preposterous promise against overwhelming odds, astounding trust, and then absolute acceptance. Here's what I want you to see. This This is where Abram was. This was what happened to him. But what I want you to see, what the Holy Spirit wants you to do is see that that's exactly where God wants you to be. It's exactly where he wants us to live today, even in the midst. Everybody's saying, in these uncertain times. He wants Christians to say, well, they're not very uncertain to me. Here's what the Holy Spirit of God wants us to do. To see what God is saying to Abram and about Abram, and then apply that directly to the situation in which we find ourselves. Let me prove this to you. Look back at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and look back to verse 13. For the promise to Abram, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are the law of heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abram, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations I have made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations. According to what has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform." Therefore, verse 22, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, here's what I want you to see. That's not just theology. That's not just what happened to Abram. I want you to see that the Holy Spirit wants you to take that and say, that's where I'm standing. Look at verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Do you remember the deadness of Abram's body and the deadness of Sarah's womb? He wants us to believe that God is able even to raise the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. I want to remind you this morning that Abram is not the only one that God has made promises to. God has made promises to you. And let me just give you a sampling of these promises. How about the promise of forgiveness in Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 1, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You know what He wants you to do? He wants you to believe that promise as you come to him not just confessing your sin and hoping that you're able to pray hard enough that you're going to be able to win his forgiveness but that you would believe the promise of forgiveness in Jesus Christ and as you confess your sin to him that you would stand up from your knees and consider yourself forgiven how about the promise that God will not only forgive us but one day he will remove sin from our hearts Oh that day when freed from sinning I shall see his lovely face full arrayed in blood washed linen how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. That is not a pipe dream. That is a promise. Those whom he foreknew he also predestined for what? That we would become conformed to the image of his son. Listen to the promise. Behold days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah declares the Lord but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it I will be their God and they shall be my people they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more Isn't it incredible that one day you are going to put down this battle against sin and you're not just going to respond the way you ought to respond after you've had had an hour to think about it. You are going to respond with goodness because your heart is going to be good. How about the promise of eternal life? This is the promise which He Himself made to us. Eternal life, 1 John 2.25. How about this promise? For 2020, the promise that one day the whole world is going to be fixed. For a child will be born to us, Isaiah 9. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. How about the promise? He goes even further. Revelation 5 says he made them that's believers that's us he made us to be a kingdom of priests to our god and they will reign upon the earth but their promises Right now, promise that He's going to preserve His people in such a way that without the will of our Heavenly Father, not a hair from, can fall from our heads. Indeed, everything must work together for our good. Here's the text, Hebrews 13. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you so, that you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? These are preposterous promises made against overwhelming odds, aren't they? Do you watch the news? <laughs> do, do, you, do you look at the Facebook feed? Do, do you read CNN? Do you read the paper? Have you, have you, have you been around enough people? Or have, have you read? I, I, I want you to read, and sometimes I, I, I would say, I don't want you to read. Have you read the comments that people make on videos or people make on news stories? The The vile, venom-filled comments that people make to each other have you considered the economic problems in the world what's going to happen with the US economy in 2020 and moving forward have you thought about the political problems that we have have you thought about the moral problems have you considered the character of the generation of people that we are leaving behind have you thought about the threats to world peace coming from China and the Middle East and Russia North Korea Maybe more important, have you looked in the mirror? Have you taken seriously your moral failure? Your lack of character? According to Romans 4, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to contemplate just how bad it is. He wants us to contemplate just how dead this world is. How hopeless this situation is. And then he wants you to think about the promises of God. God, can you really make me pleasing to you? Are you really going to fix me? Are are you going to turn all of my pain into beauty? Are you actually going to make me into a queen or a king who rules with Christ? Then He wants you to stop wavering in unbelief. And He wants you to grow strong in faith. He wants you to believe what He says. He wants you to be fully assured that what God has promised, He is able also to. To perform, He wants you to look at the empty grave of Jesus Christ and see that death and sin has been conquered, and He wants you to believe. And if you do, He'll reckon it to you as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, only You know the trouble Uh, not only lives in our hearts but affects our hearts. You know the anxiety. You know every flaw. You, You know the sin that is is living in our hearts that stubbornly wants to stay there. You know our worries. You you know the thing that, that trips us and causes us to lash out in anger. To cave in despair. Father, I pray that You would You would plant this gospel right there. And it would uproot every doubt, every anxiety, every fear, every sin. God, I pray that You would make us a people who hear what You say and believe it and thereby give You glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.